3: To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Welcome to
2: Stuff Mom Never Told You from HouseForts.com.
4: Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline. This is part two of our special Stuff Mom Never Told You series on Sheryl Sandberg's book and foundation, Lean In, which is all about empowering women in the workplace. And last week for our inaugural episode, we talked about negotiation and how women can negotiate their way into better salaries and better positions in their jobs. And now we're going to talk about something That comes up for a lot of women and especially successful women once they're in their jobs, hopefully they negotiated their way in.
0: And now comes the fear, right? The fear, which could be called the imposter syndrome. Basically, now that you're in an awesome position, you're making some good money, you're making some good contacts, you're doing some good work during the day but there's still this sneaking suspicion that it's all fake and that you have just fooled everybody. Yeah, and the book reference for this episode is
4: Chapter 2 called Sit at the Table. And the big question that we want to look into is why successful women are more likely to feel like frauds for their achievement, and and how do we deal with this? Because personally speaking, Caroline, I'm no Sheryl Sandberg, obviously, but I do find myself undercutting my own achievements uh, by even just saying something like that. Of Well, listen, I'm no Sheryl Sandberg or, yeah, what I did was OK, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, do you ever do you ever find yourself doing that? Sure, sure. I mean, uh, when I do get praise for a project, I'm like, well, they don't. They don't understand that I didn't put like 110% into it. You know, like, I don't think maybe they're just used to getting something that's subpar.
4: Yeah. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before as well, that even in the early years of Stuff Mom Never Told You, and even recently, if someone would mention, oh, don't you do a podcast, I would... Brush it off as, oh, it's just this thing that I do.
0: It's women and such. And then mumble into my shoulder. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I love telling people about the podcast mostly because of the entertainment I get when people don't understand what a podcast is. True. And then I'm like, well, it's like a radio show. Uh, and then I have to explain the difference between, uh, a video and a podcast, but I digress. Well, if you ever get that feeling
4: that you are a bit of a fraud or you aren't deserving of your achievements or that everybody's actually working harder than you and you're somehow secretly just getting ahead,
0: you might have a case of something termed the imposter syndrome. Right. And this was coined in 1978 by Oberlin psychologists Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. And really, since 1978, little has changed. I mean, you know, if you just anecdotally, if you talk to a lot of women, a lot of women report feeling like this, even now, even way after 1978. Yeah, in Lean In, uh, Sheryl Sandberg describes it
4: as uh, capable people being plagued by self-doubt. And it's not just women who are more in in the thick of it, in the weeds of their career, trying to get ahead. It's even women at the top of the ladder, such as Tina Fey, who talked about it pretty directly in an interview with a British newspaper in which she referenced the roller coaster ride that she experiences between egomania (laughs) and imposter syndrome of saying, oh, I won this." Emmy, look at me. Oh, my God. Everyone's going to know that I'm a
0: fraud. Yeah. And I think I I totally can kind of get her there, that roller coaster, because like, let's say you do do something awesome and you're like, yes, I worked really hard. But, this, well, I'm you know, speaking personally, like if I do something awesome and I have worked really hard on it and then I get a lot of praise for it, I'm like, wait, wait, I don't know if I deserve all that. Because in the moment I'll feel like, yeah, I, I kicked that thing's butt. And then if people recognize me for it then I start to feel a little awkward. So this imposter syndrome is really an underlying feeling of being a fraud, but particularly in male-dominated fields. Maybe not so much in fields that are stereotypically dominated by women, but like a lot of women who are in maybe the STEM fields. Or, or other fields that are dominated by men report feeling like this.
4: Yeah, and it got a lot of ink in the 2008 book, The Sexual Paradox by Susan Pinker. And she talks about how studies suggest, for instance, that when success eludes men, they're more likely to blame external factors, whereas women are quicker to point to internal factors if they aren't successful. So in other words, it comes back to, well, I just... I guess I just couldn't do it that well. Whereas men might say, well, I didn't have enough resources or X, Y, Z.
0: Right. It's really just not realizing how valuable your own knowledge is really kind of under undercutting yourself, but not even in a public forum, not even being like, no, I didn't do that much. It's It's really internal. And Pinker's book, she points out that it's This intermittent, fleeting, imposter feeling exists in 70% of the general population.
4: Yeah, so it's definitely men and women alike who are feeling like this, but in the workplace setting, it does anecdotally seem to be something that persistently affects women more often, and also persistently holds us back, which is one reason why Sandberg talks about it. And she initially heard about imposter syndrome during a speech called Feeling Like a Fraud that was delivered by Dr. Peggy McIntosh from the Wellesley Centers for Women. And she writes, for women, feeling like a fraud is a symptom of a greater problem. We consistently underestimate ourselves.
0: Can I rant for a sec? Please.
2: Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated, PNC Bank a National Association member FDIC.
0: Right. So in her book, Sandberg cites a study of about 1000 Harvard Law students, which found that in every category, women gave themselves lower scores than than men. And the results are even more drastic when women had to evaluate themselves in front of other people. Well, that reminds me of of what you said a minute ago about how
4: when you're receiving praise from other people, and all of a sudden it puts that
0: anxiety and fear Mm -hmm. into high gear all of a sudden. Right. I mean, I don't know what's going on there. Like a minute ago, I might have felt great about what I just made or did or wrote, but... But once you have an audience and then you're like, no, no, it's not that good. Please leave me alone. I'm blushing.
4: Well, research also shows how imposter syndrome is reflected in gendered concepts, not just of success, but also of failure, because, again, when women fail, we're more likely to believe it's due to our inherent lack of ability. Why? Why? Why must we constantly undercut ourselves like that?
0: I I can't tell you. <laughs> I really can't. Um, But so how does this end up affecting our actual work? I mean, are we are we losing confidence? Is it is it making our work take a nosedive? Kind of the opposite, because we think we have this inherent lack of ability or we're just not comfortable with praise because we don't think we're doing a great job. We overcompensate by working two to three times as hard and over preparing. And that leads to kind of obsessing and getting burned out. Sure. And even though we might be working longer hours and arguably
4: harder than employees around us, that kind of hard work is not necessarily setting us up for promotion because it's all rooted in this fear and this assumption that we're not good enough, so we're probably not spending the time we should be promoting
0: ourselves and owning our own successes. Right, and it's what psychologist Julie Norum refers to as defensive pessimism. Just that thing of, like, I'm going to work really hard, but you know what? It's probably not going to be great, and I'm not going to do a good job, and it's going to fail. But because you're you're pessimistic and fearful at the same time that you're also striving 3,000 times harder than you would otherwise... I mean, that's just, it's not going to have a happy ending, however you shake the dice out. Sure. And
4: and it can also manifest, too, in procrastination, I know I've done this before as well, of knowing that something needs to be done and just pushing it and pushing it because of the risk of what happens when it is done, because it might be a marker of success or a marker of, in my mind at least, failure. And I feel like a lot of times in the workplace, what we might consider failure is so much greater in our eyes Mm -hmm. than in our manager's eyes, you know, unless it's something that can maybe be measured out in numbers and statistics. I feel like a lot of times we see things as exponentially greater than they are, unless it's a success, in which Mm -hmm. case we minimize it.
0: Yeah. Well, in that same vein, uh, Valerie Young, who's a longtime lecturer on the topic, told Forbes that there's a real bias against female competence that persists. She says being female means you and your work automatically stand a greater chance of being ignored, discounted, trivialized, devalued, or otherwise taken less seriously than a man. So whether that's conscious or unconscious, you know, maybe we do have that fear of, well, it's it's not going to be that great. and Nobody's going to think it's that great.
4: I think there's definitely a degree of overcompensation that will happen because I I think, you know, even though those Biases might be unconscious. I think um, we're pretty aware of them. We're pretty aware of, of of kind of the risk of putting female work out there Mm -hmm. to be judged. Sure. If that makes sense.
0: Well, so what do we do? What do we do with these fears and these inherent feelings of failure? We gotta get rid of them, Caroline. (laughs) We we do. we one thing that we have to do, I think, is really just allow ourselves to make and learn from mistakes. We have to realize. So if we already are pessimistic, we have this inherent defensive pessimism. Why don't we just take a deep breath, kind of relax and say, hey, you know what? If I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to make them. But I will learn from them and move on from there. And Cheryl Sandberg also says that, you know what? It's also OK that you react
4: emotionally to criticism. Now you need to move on from it and quickly mm-hmm. but trying to separate all of that emotion out of it is is gonna be probably impossible. So it's yeah. gonna be probably healthier to
0: react in an authentic way and then whoop move on to the next thing. Sure. I mean, especially if the work you are doing is tied up in your identity. Like if if if, you know, you're, you know, an editor, for instance, like I my background is in editing. If someone comes to you and is like, well, you're not, you, you messed this up. You didn't edit this correctly or well enough. Then it's like, oh my God, you know, that almost reflects something about you, not just maybe you made some mistakes at work. Right.
4: And another thing that she suggests, which might seem counterintuitive, is go ahead and just fake it till you make it. Sort of embrace that fear in a way, mm-hmm. uh,
0: and, and, but move forward. Use it as a motivating factor. Right. Well, I, you know, I in college, you know, I, I went to a very like uh, college preppy type of private school growing up and the all of my classes were super writing intensive. And so when I went to college, it was kind of a breeze writing paper. So I felt like a total fraud. I was like, oh, my God, I'm getting all these A's. But like they don't understand. Like I just, you know, like I, I didn't think that I was doing as good a job as they thought I was doing. But that did give me kind of the confidence to go forward and do more interesting things or things outside of the box because I felt like I had more room. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, I realize that's sort of rambling, but I guess that leads us to the point of having to remember that your point of view, just like you said earlier about your boss and your point of view is not the same. Your point of view of what you're doing is probably not the same as the person who you think is judging you. Right. Right.
4: Yeah. And that's one reason why she talks a lot about finding your authentic self. And this is something that we could even devote a whole podcast to. Um, and, and there's a lot of research and talks that have been given on this idea of the authentic self and seeing and speaking your own truth. And that really has to do with what you're talking about in terms of recognizing that there is your point of view and there's someone else's point of view and that, you know what? You have weaknesses and that's OK. But you also have strengths as well and sort of learning, I guess, to accept who you are in the workplace and be authentic about it rather than trying to hide behind some sort of shell of perfection, because nobody is ever going to be completely perfect. She even talks about, uh, Sandberg does, how there's a motto at Facebook, which is better done than perfect, mm-hmm. and how at first she was like, what, how, no, and how she's learned to kind of embrace that, just sort of getting rid of this notion of perfectionism and saying, no, let's just get it done.
0: And one thing that uh, Sandberg talked about that I actually really enjoyed because I was like, finally, she's speaking right to me, directly to Caroline Irvin. She says that instead of putting on some kind of fake all-work persona, I think we benefit from expressing our truth, talking about personal situations, and acknowledging that professional decisions are often emotionally driven. And while I'm not so sure about the, like, emotional part, although I see what she's saying and I agree with her, uh I, I do struggle with, like, a, a work persona and a, and a regular Caroline at home persona. Oh, and figuring out how to to merge them or how yeah. to separate them. Well, no, separate them because I can't.
4: But she would say that, of course,
0: you can't. That uh,
4: there's a if there's a phrase that Sandberg is not a fan of, it's work life balance, because it, it's that mentality that you have a work life and that you have a home life mm-hmm. and that the two should not intersect. It's like a separation of church and state kind of thing. Whereas, no, I mean, obviously, you don't want to take everything from your home life into your work. The, the stresses from there mm-hmm. and vice versa. But
0: it's, it's going to. It's going to blend at some point. Yeah, it is unrealistic to think. I mean, just think about like, you know, uh, let's pick on moms in the workplace. I mean, you know, there are going to be issues like your kid's going to be sick or you have to pick somebody up from a practice or something like it's unrealistic to assume that your life will never interfere with your work just as your work will never interfere with your life. These, right. these things do blend, like you said. Right. And I think circling back to that idea
4: of finding your authentic self, speaking your truth, those are things that can be applied to both the work realm and the non-work realm to maybe merge those two identities into one so that you're not just jumping back and forth. Because that can also be exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. And also maybe a, a reason why we should just wear power suits all the time. <laughs> Shoulder pads give us power. That's right. Uh, but she also talks about how, you know, humor, use humor, too, because we get so bent out of shape over all of these stressors that are going on, not just in work, but also in life. And it's good to just not take ourselves so seriously all the time
0: yeah I mean that that is something I do struggle with as far. Not that I can't see the humor in things. i I definitely try to. But you know when when a project is stressing you out and you're having a nervous breakdown or, you know, I don't know, have to code to your car and cry. Not like that's ever happened to me. Um, but it is important to remember that, like, okay, You have that other person's point of view, which is probably going to be more lenient than your own crazy point of view where you're like, you know, slaving over this project and killing yourself over it when really it's probably great. Mm -hmm. So like to be able to step back and have that sense of humor and be like, you know, what? like at the newspaper, for instance, I would be stressing over designing and editing and getting it all done. And is this perfect? And oh, my God, is this headline the right point size and all that stuff? And then you have to remember Tomorrow morning, it'll be lining bird cages. that's what I always told myself to to stop myself from freaking out. And I mean, and that's such a good tool
4: to bring into conflicts that might arise in the workplace. Like, it's such humor is such a perfect deflector, not just for the issues going on within you, but also with that other person sitting across from the table. Sure. Because if you can share a laugh, then it's probably going to be a lot easier to hash things out.
0: Well, true. And I mean, also. You know, if you have already the reputation of a hard worker and somebody who does his or her best, then, you know, maybe maybe you can lighten up on yourself. Maybe there's a little room to lighten up on yourself, because I mean, if people think you're a slacker, then, yeah, you probably do have to bust your butt a little bit. But if you're already a hard worker and people know that. And they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna punish you for doing your best. Mm-hmm.
4: Do you think that maybe this whole issue of the imposter syndrome and feeling like a fraud and how do we deal with it, maybe it's just a bit about taking a breath and relaxing? Do you think maybe we're just like asking too much of ourselves and just assuming that no one sees anything that we do?
0: It could be. It could, yeah. I mean, I do think we need to step back and realize that you know, our hard work is evident. Yeah. You know, people people would not rely on us if they didn't think they could rely on us. Right.
4: Well, I can tell you that it definitely resonated with me reading that because mm-hmm. I know that it's something that affects me. And I know even more importantly, in a way, that it's something that does hold me back. And I hate hate it. It's like when I'm in yoga. For instance, I was in yoga last night. It's time to do headstands. I've never successfully done a headstand. You know why, Caroline? Because I'm terrified. I know that I probably won't break my neck, but whenever I even approach getting up to the top and I feel the ground going away from me, I'm scared. And so I stop trying and I feel like it is Such an analog to these kinds of workplace things. So you're feeling like a yoga fraud, even though you've been doing yoga forever years. But to extend the yoga metaphor in the same way that my teacher came over and actually grabbed one of my legs and was like, come on, we're going to do this. And she stood there to be my support person. Sandberg also says that there are institutional supports that we need to put in place, recognizing that this kind of imposter syndrome runs rampant. Uh, She writes, if we want a world with greater equality, we need to acknowledge that women are less likely to keep their hands up. We need institutions and individuals to notice and correct for this behavior by encouraging promoting and championing more women and women have to learn to keep their hands up because when they lower them, even managers with the best intentions might not notice it. Yeah. So there are things that need to be done on both sides. Let's
0: be brave. Right. And, and don't be afraid to be your own advocate. Absolutely.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
2: This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring
4: So now we want to hear from you. Does this issue of the imposter syndrome of fear resonate with you? And is it something that you've been able to overcome? Please let us know your thoughts. You can email us momstuffadiscovery.com or we highly encourage you to head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash stuff mom never told you
0: and share your experiences with us. And come back to us next Friday when we'll be talking about unbalancing that so-called work-life balance. So we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next week. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Save now at cedarpoint.com.